Have you heard about the new MagnaGrip Pro Nozzle? The MagnaGrip Pro Nozzle is the easiest, most advanced nozzle ever, protecting you from the dangers of diesel exhaust fumes. With its patented flex magnet technology, the Pro Nozzle easily attaches with one hand from a standing position, can snap on from any angle, and fits flush to the apparatus, saving a ton of space. And MagnaGrip is the only exhaust removal system that offers a true 100% seal. For free grant assistance and to learn more, go to magnagrip.com. Welcome to Fire Service Court Radio. My name is Brad Pinsky, and I am your sole host today because all the other attorneys were so intimidated by the brilliance I'm about to offer you, they left me alone tonight while they did other legal brilliance themselves. Today, since I'm alone, I want to talk to you about an incredibly, incredibly important topic. I want to save you from being sued and losing discrimination claims, mostly disability claims. I want to give you the knowledge to really make a huge difference in your firefighters' lives, in your legal lives, everywhere. So I am just spitballing this, but it is a topic that is so important. And the topic is physical and mental fitness. So before I um, get too much farther on the mental fitness side of things, uh, I want to give a very sympathetic shout-out to all the MSU students. Uh, my daughter is a student there. Um, fortunately, wasn't directly involved, but certainly was there. Um, so it is, uh, you know, and uh, I was talking to Steve Hamilton as the whole active shooter thing's going on, and it, it's just incredible to listen to that live as it's happening and to really see the impact on the students and as they're texting, as things are going on. It's just, just incredible. So my own two cents, we, we give shout-outs all the time. And uh, my first one goes to uh, the students and staff and the community at uh, Michigan State University uh, and specifically East Lansing Fire Department as well. They were just uh, fantastic on scene and the whole police and everybody. Um, but so this is a fire show, so we're going to stick to fire. And uh, since I haven't been live since um, Bobby's passing, uh, I want to throw my uh, huge condolences out um, to just the entire fire service world for Bobby. And Bobby got me involved in fire engineering. I met him in an elevator, and um, he uh, he immediately clinged on to me and started asking me if I'd want to speak. And I, I was just so honored. And every time I saw Bobby, as, as good of a friend as he was, I, I was just so honored to be in his presence. And everybody who has ever met him, even if you have dinner with him every day, you know what I mean. He's just such a glow of Bobby. And uh, I, I know that him and uh, Bruno are up there uh, probably hosting another session. So it just, uh, you know, I, my, my condolences, but, um, you know, we, we all love him this, Bobby, and I, I can't wait to just talk about and reminisce about him at FDIC. So today let's talk about physical. And this is a huge issue. This is a huge issue because I'm going to bet most of you are screwing it up. Now, let's start the quiz. If your department says, oh, yeah, we give physicals, but your physicals are done by we send you to an occupational group, and the occupational group designates you as interior, not interior, fit, not fit, whatever it is, and then they send a letter back. 
and they say, okay, you're not interior, sorry, you need to lose weight, blood pressure, whatever. This is going to follow in many paid and certainly volunteer departments when you get removed from a position because of a medical or condition or physical condition is a lawsuit. And the lawsuit alleges that the fire department discriminated against me because of a disability. Now you're thinking, well, wait a minute, not everybody should be a firefighter because you have to be in a certain condition. And you would be right. But if you do what I just said, you will probably lose a discrimination lawsuit. And you're thinking, but wait a minute, we sent him to a doctor. The doctor evaluates whether he's in good physical, he or she's in good physical condition to be a firefighter. And the doctor said, no, why should we lose? Well, let me tell you why you're going to lose. And I hope you don't. And after listening to this, you're not going to. You do not have your own written standards. And we're going to talk a lot about what those written standards should be over these next 20 or so minutes. If you do not have written standards, which do a number of things. One, they outline the job performance requirements. And I'm going to give you very specific examples. The job performance requirements of a firefighter or whatever position you have. If you're a volunteer and you've got exterior or operators, fire police, you need to have job performance requirements that you created. And those JPRs, and these are physical and mental fitness JPRs, they're not like the NFPA JPRs to, you know, what a firefighter course should have. And I, again, I'm going to give you very specific examples. If you have JPRs, the next question is, does the JPR match actual job duty? So let me give you a very, and I'm highlighting a very contentious issue. Tell me, as uh, I think I'm up to uh, 4 million viewers right now, or listeners. Um, oh, now it's 6 million. Just kidding, if anyone's listening. Um, so let's raise your hand, look to the left, look to the right. Tell me what you think. Should an individual be an interior firefighter if they cannot hear? In other words, they have no hearing whatsoever. I don't care whether it's because of age, because of uh, they're, they're, they're born hearing impaired or deaf, right? They can't hear. What is your answer? Now, if your answer is anything other than what does our policy say, you are going to lose a discrimination suit. Because the answer is twofold. One, do you have a policy? Always what I ask when clients call with any type of problem, do you have a policy? These are Pinsky's rules on policies. So first question is, do you have a policy? If you don't have a policy that addresses the issue of can somebody with a certain disability be a whatever, firefighter, fire chief, operator, fire police, then you lose. But now let's assume you have a policy. Step two, did you adhere to the policy? Well, if you stuck to the policy, then you are two-thirds of the way there. But then step three in the Pinsky's policy evaluation here, or Pinsky's rules on policy, step three is, or question three is, do your policies 
in this case, your job performance requirement, do they relate to the job? So let's ask the question. First question is, should somebody who cannot hear be an interior firefighter? What is the answer? The answer is, what does your policy say? If you, your answer again is, well, we don't have a policy. Well, what are we going to do? We're going to create one, right, before the lawsuit, before the discrimination claim. Okay. So now let's ask the third one. What do you guys think? What do you all think? Should somebody who is absolutely unable to hear a thing and hearing aids won't work, nothing will work, they cannot hear a sound, should they be an interior firefighter? Now, I happen to know somebody who is completely deaf. Um, and look, I, I don't want anyone, when I give my opinion, to say, you know, say, oh, Brad's just discriminating, because if you know me, that's not the case. I happen to be very, eh, pretty good at signing, because I worked many years with hearing-impaired children, so before I was a lawyer and such. So I, it, I, I'm very much, you know, familiar with this issue. Let's ask the question. Is it important to hear? Does it relate to the job? Does hearing relate to the job? You need to be able to hear orders. How about hear a mayday? How about hear the radio? How about hear fire crackling on the other side? How about screams of help? How about the three horn blasts to telling you to get out? How about anything? Do you need to hear? My personal opinion, which is not a legal opinion, is I think hearing and the ability to hear relates to the job. But that's not the end. That's not the end of the equation. Because with the Americans with Disabilities Act, we need to look at something else. We need to ask another question. Is there a way to accommodate reasonably, not just accommodate, can we reasonably accommodate lack of hearing? So let's talk about what an accommodation would be. Couldn't we train an interpreter to go into the fire with the interior to sign every command that's coming over the radio from the lieutenant? Well, I suppose we could, but is that a reasonable accommodation? No, it's not a reasonable accommodation. <laughs> One, because it's not practical. You can't hire uh, an interpreter. That's not an expectation that the government would make. But there's another reason. Don't forget, 1910-134, the CFR, um, this is the respiratory standard, and also 1910, I think it's 136 or so, when you get to the fire brigade standard, you are required to be in voice or visual communication at all times. Well, if you're hearing impaired or, you know, deaf, you're not going to be in voice communication because you can't hear. So can you read lips? Well, what happens when we put water on the fire? It goes dark. The whole room goes dark. We see nothing anymore. So visual doesn't work. So even if we said we're going to come up with some visual way where you could read lips or somebody will sign if we put an interpreter, it's not reasonable and it may not be possible. As opposed to maybe on the EMS side, there's a lot of mechanical devices, blood pressure readings, pulse oxes, right, the, the monitors, they all do a lot of things. I don't know how you listen to breath sounds necessarily, but that we might be able to reasonably accommodate, certainly an EMT, maybe a paramedic, but not probably in the fire service. Now, this is just my opinion, but my opinion would matter if I'm the chief 
and I'm creating policies, job performance requirements, because the question is going to be asked of a court, please justify to me why the job performance requirement is reasonable that you have to be able to hear. Does it relate to the job? And I would say what I just said. So let's talk about a little bit more on the JPRs, right? So now I've got a JPR. I'm going to go through the examples right now with you what it should say. I give you one out of many. And then we're going to adhere to it, and we're hopefully they're all going to be reasonable. So let's talk about some. And, and, and I'm going to stick to interior firefighters. But for the volley departments out there who listen, and there are a lot of them, um, I would say that, um, you know, you've got to have JPRs for every single position, EMS only, driver only, fire chief only, right? You've got to have one for every one of your positions. So let's talk about interiors. What would some reasonable JPRs be for interiors? So let me give you uh, some good examples. How about wearing 60 pounds of gear for up to two hours? Oh, yeah. SCBA, turnout gear, helmet, right? And how long should we normally wear it? Two hours. If you've got shoulder problems, you can't wear SCBA, right? Then I guess you can't be uh, an interior firefighter. How about climbing a 24-foot ladder while wearing 60, 60 pounds of gear, carrying 15 pounds of equipment? Is that a reasonable um, physical ability requirement? Yes, it is. Let me give you a couple more, and then I'm going to make a comment, because this is not a test, right? And I want to explain how these JPRs are used. So I'll give you a couple more for interior. Crawling for 30 minutes while wearing the gear. Hearing actual voices right, from a certain distance, um, hearing radio communications from six inches, right, seeing at least 50 feet, right, although you can use glasses in that case, being able to lift 150 pounds, being able to drag 175 pounds, being able to carry a 12-foot ladder, um, breathing on a mask through two cylinders for at least 45 combined minutes, right, being physically and mentally capable of performing all the above. Right? Those are some good examples, bending, reaching, flexing, speaking clearly, all of that. Those are the examples of job performance requirements. Now, are we going to give a test? Because I always hear that. Oh, we, we, we got to give a test. We're not going to do a test. I'm not asking you to do a test. What this is, imagine you go to, imagine uh, we have a lawsuit. You um, pull up the doctor. The doctor goes on the stand. And you say to the doctor, doctor, you decertified, you refused to certify that John Smith was an interior firefighter. Why did you do that? Well, I didn't think he could do the job of interior firefighter. Well, okay. Um, do you have a written standard of what it, the job of a firefighter is? Now, if he says no, we lose, right, because he can't make it up. And two, then I'm going to say, okay, in this written standard, it says, you have to be able to carry a 16-foot ladder by yourself and throw the ladder. Yes. Do you think he could do that? No. Why not? Well, this individual has balance problems, or this individual can't, you know, bend his arm at a 90-degree angle, or this individual can't put weight on his shoulder, or, right, can't have more than five pounds pull on his arm, right? Or, well, you know, doctor, do you think you could wear 60 pounds of gear and crawl? No, his heart isn't strong enough. So these are objective standards which allow a physician to make an objective determination of that specific patient 
on whether it is safe for him to do those things. We are not testing him against the JPRs. We are simply evaluating whether he can do the JPRs in a way that doesn't um, jeopardize his health or others. Now, if you have the JPRs, frankly, you are one-third of the way there, right? So your step one, if you're saying, okay, Brad, where do we start? Your step one is let's do the JPRs, right, and write down everything somebody has to be able to perform safely without causing themselves injury, et cetera, right, whether that's physical injury or health injury, like you'll have a heart attack, all right, that's step one. Now, what about this? The doctor says, well, wait a minute, we have our own standard. Can we use the doctor's standard? The answer is no. You can adopt the doctor's standard. But remember that part of this, I said, do the job performance requirements relate to the job in your department? In my department, we draft a lot. And that means you have to climb up the back of the engine. You have to pull out six-inch hard suction, which weighs a ton in the older days. It weighs a ton, weighed a ton. Now it's a little lighter. And then you have to, with your arm over your head, hand it down. But let me ask you a question. How the heck is any physician going to know that an operator or an interior firefighter has to be able to lift his hand over his head and pass off, you know, six-inch LDH, which weighs 50 pounds and, you know, whatever. They're not going to know that, which is why we, not the physician, have to create the job performance requirement. And I will tell anybody who's listening to the show, feel free to email me. I will share my website and my email right now, but feel, feel free to email me. And I will send you samples of JPRs because I want you to see what they look like and help you along your way to drafting them, right? So my email is bpinsky, B-P-I-N-S-K-Y, at pinskylaw, L-A-W, dot com. Email me, and I will send it. Uh, and, of course, you can always find me on the FBIC site and Fire Engineering, Blog Talk Radio. You can find me. Um, okay. So that is the first thing we're going to do. Now, let's say you go to the doctor and you say, hey, doctor, what standard do you use? I know what he's going to tell you. You know what he's going to tell you. He's going to say NFPA 1582. No, he's not. This is like the answer to being, am I pregnant or not? You're like, well, you're a little bit pregnant. No, there's no little bit pregnant. You either do or you don't. So you either 100% comply with NFPA 1582, which is the physical and mental ability standard, where a lot of this comes from, but you got to do better. And you, you either use it or you don't, right? If you don't, you use your own personal. Well, why? Don't I believe that a doctor is really doing an NFPA 1582 full physical? Well, I just asked two questions. Are you giving men colonoscopies? And I think it's at like age 40 under 1582. Or, and are you giving women mammograms? Are you paying for the mammograms that they're having? And I forget what that age, let's say 40, but it, it's in there. If you're not doing even those two things, then you are not adhering to 1582. And if you don't adhere to even one part of 1582, then you don't adhere to 1582. Now, is that a problem? No, because in many states, 1582 isn't the law. But it's a great place to start. Now, so step one, create the JPRs and make sure they relate to the job and don't adopt the physicians. You create them and you hand them to the physician. And let me tell you, if you stopped here and did nothing else, probably defeat most 
disability claims. And we could end here after 20 minutes, but I want to go a little longer. We need to do a couple of other things. The other very important thing we need to do in order to prevent disability claims is we need to create a physical standard. We need to know what tests are going to be run, right? But here's the problem. A test is just a number. So identifying the test isn't enough. And identifying results, we need the third step. So the second step is, look, we're going to have it, we're going to design a physical exam that relates to our job. We're going to test for things that relate to the job. But testing for things that relate to the job doesn't matter unless we have a physical standard. And here's where NFPA 1582 really does a good job. NFPA 1582 creates a very good, not perfect, but very good list of categories, and I'm going to explain these, category A and category B conditions, which basically say if you have a category A condition, you cannot join as a firefighter. It's absolutely prohibited. I'll give you examples. And if you have a category B condition or if your results test in certain ranges, abnormal ranges, right, that indicates the condition, then, right, and that's where the testing matters. We have to test you to see if you fall into a category A or B condition. Um, if you have a category B condition, you can only be hired or join if your doctor or your department's doctor says you can with that condition. So let me give you examples. And for, before I do that, let me say one more thing. PA, there's a lot of debate about this, but I defer to my very wise uh, partner here, which is Kurt Verone. And Kurt, I believe, although I'm probably going to butcher this, but Kurt's not on, so I can say whatever I want. So the um, NFPA 1582 is an entry-level physical. It's not, not necessarily a return-to-duty physical. It is not necessarily the annual physical. But I believe we should use it in partly in that way. So let me explain what 1582 was intended to be. It has a Category A condition, which if you have, you're not being hired or joining, and Category B's conditions, which, well, you shouldn't, but if your doctor says or our doctor says you can, then you can. So what are Category A conditions? Category A condition, for example, and there's hundreds of them, but one of them is type 1 diabetes. If you have type 1 diabetes, the NFPA doctors, when they created this consensus standard, said you shouldn't be an interior firefighter. Now, on the bodily side, look, maybe you can do other things like outside, but you shouldn't be inside a house where you could drop your blood sugar, right, have too much insulin, and now you're in an emergency. And there may be no way to control that. On the other hand, right, maybe type 2 diabetes is controllable, and maybe that becomes a Category B condition. So NFPA 1582 gives you Category A and Category B conditions. I do not think you should adopt them. Why? Well, I thought you should originally, but in my department, we're a combination department, and we have a union, and uh, we were obviously negotiating this with our union and our volunteers. And um, one of my um, firefighters who's just retiring, Lieutenant Rob Finger, congratulations on your retirement, brother. Um, but Rob's wife is a doctor and a family doctor, and she looked at some of the standards, and she said, you know, these, some of these are way off the mark, right? Some of these shouldn't be right. So, for example, she pulls out one, and I don't remember what the name is. It's like 100 letters long. But it's basically very bad menstrual cramps for women, obviously. And that, she said, like, how does that relate to being a firefighter? What, are you going to have horrible cramps in the middle of a search 
right? It's not like it's going to drop you in a diabetic coma or diabetic shock. It's, it's cramps. You can leave. And even though they're extremely bad, right, it, it's not a condition that should prohibit you from being an interior firefighter. Um, I have others that were blood thinners, right? If you're on blood thinners, well, why, should, why is that a Category A condition? Well, it's a Category A condition because if you get a crush injury, right, you're going to bleed to death. Except that there are some um, blood thinners now, I am told, that frankly do not, um, that, that may allow you to clot. So maybe it's not an absolute prohibition. So she and others, and I've had numerous doctors and occupational groups since then review at least my policy, have pared down the A and B categories to something that's more manageable, right? It's still, I got to tell you, my list of category A and B conditions is still like 15 to 20 pages long, but it's, it's more manageable and it, it's more forgiving. Now, as I said, category A, category B, those are entry-level um, conditions. What if I am already a firefighter for, let's say, five years, 10 years, 20 years, and I develop a Category A condition? Well, that was not meant to kick you out and, you know, and fire you, cause for fire. The way I suggest, I don't know what NFEA wanted them to happen with these, but I think we should still use them, except convert all Category A's to B's. You've developed a condition which would have precluded you from being a firefighter in the first place, but you're already a firefighter, so let's give you the benefit of the doubt, make it a Category B, and let's have you simply be um, go to your or the department's physician, whatever your policy says, and then let's determine whether that Category A condition should prevent you from being a firefighter. So in other words, convert all Category A's to Category B, and everything now is a Category B. Let's do that, um, and that really will be the best way to do things. Um, so that's the steps we need, right? Those are the steps that we want to go through. So let me revisit this again. One, you want to create job performance requirements, and you want to make sure they're specific to you. They may not be the same as your rural department or your city department right next to you. You may do different things, right? Look, if, you, if every interior has to be a rope rescue person or has to be able to swim, well, I guess you're going to have different JPRs. Maybe you have JPRs or the technical rescue team, right, et cetera. But step one, create JPRs. And, again, if you email me, I am more than happy to um, let you know uh, my, what I think some common examples are, but then tailor them. Step two is we really should be getting together with our physician group, make sure they're on board, and we should design a physical, which tests lab work and all these other things, and then we have to come up with, in our Category A and B conditions, and as part of that, what are normal limits? And what illnesses, um, diseases, conditions um, should prevent us from being a firefighter? And we have to list those in writing. Look, physicals are important for more than anything else because we want to stop dying from things that could have been prevented. That's what our goal is. But we also, unfortunately, need to stop people from being or continuing to be firefighters who are just not in physical shape to do so. It's a privilege and an honor to serve as an interior firefighter. And if I died in the line of duty rescuing someone, so be it. But to die from something that was preventable when I shouldn't have been doing the job is downright selfish. It is selfish. We shouldn't be 
allowing someone to be in that position, we shouldn't want ourselves to be in that position. We have family and we have brothers and sisters in the fire service. Leaving them behind is selfish when it's preventable. So take it for what it's worth. You can say we're going to engage in a proper physical program because we want to save future and present people from themselves and from a condition, or simply because on the legal side, we want to prevent disability claims against us. And I will again promise you, if you don't complete the three steps I just gave you, you will lose the lawsuit. But that's why fire engineering has us here. So with that, I'm going to leave you. I want to thank everybody for listening. I really encourage you to pay good attention to this, replay it, whatever, reach out if you want. I'm so happy to help you draft a physical policy because it's important. And if you are going to be at FDIC, and why the heck wouldn't you, come see me. I think I teach Wednesday afternoon. I'm teaching must-have policies, and I'm also teaching that on Monday um, to the Women in Fire group. If you are at FDIC, please come. I would love to have you in the audience with the other couple hundred people as must-have policies. We will talk about this issue. We'll talk about many other issues. On behalf of all the attorneys, of Fire Service Court Radio, I wish you the safest, happiest, and healthiest of all times in your career and your service as a paid or volunteer firefighter. It is the greatest job you will ever miss doing. We all know that to be true. Thank you. Be healthy. Be well. And I hope to see you in Indy come April.